Now we're here to, uh, for an amazing event and to celebrate the Rugby World Cup and Wahine Rugby and we're going to do this in a truly unique Aotearoa Kiwi style. In the rooftop function rooms at Auckland Museum, a who's who of women's rugby kicks off the celebrations for the first ever Women's World Cup in New Zealand. The key message to guests, spread the word about the event which gets underway next month with 12 nations battling it out for the silverware. The aim is to set a world record. That's why I know for the highest attendance that support is crucial for a game that even at international level is lucky to get a few thousand turning up to watch. And if that night, dubbed For Our Sisters, is anything to go by, the event is shaping up to be a groundbreaker on and off the field. From locker rooms to boardrooms, her pride and mind not unsealed. She has now truly revealed the result of overcoming the battlefields. So won't you watch her rise? Won't you see her knees? Won't you bask when she shows you her strength? Ready for her when she needs your support. She is standing up. She is taking her place. Deserving to be seen. And come October, she will be your champion. But it is ironic, some say outrageous, that in the week that the squad was named and this celebration was held, New Zealand rugby was pinged hundreds of thousands of dollars for failing its gender quota. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly and today on The Detail, the state of women's rugby and the big dreams for the World Cup. There's a lot hanging on it. It's, it's about everybody working together on this one. You know, the media doing a good job, informing people who then want to go to the games, who take their children, who see new role models in women's rugby players, that New Zealand rugby respond and make rugby a better place for young women to play. I think we all should feel responsible for this. Yeah, not necessarily the media going, rah, rah, this is fantastic. Reporting on it, as it is, and giving it the coverage that it deserves because this is a major world tournament with incredible athletes. I'm with Newsroom's locker room editor, Suzanne McFadden, and we're talking first about how the Blackburns are handling the spotlight. I think the difference between the All Blacks and the Blackburns is that this is not a normal day for a Blackburn. They haven't always had great media coverage. They haven't had a lot of experience at interviews. So they're a lot more open, a lot more candid, a lot more surprising, I guess, in how refreshing they are. And they're delightful, really. And it's kind of like you're never quite sure what they're going to to say or talk about. When, when you sit down with them, and I, I love them for that. Um, that you know, there's some beautiful stories about some incredible wahine. Can you give me an example? They're almost grateful for the attention that they've been given in the lead-up to this Rugby World Cup uh, because, you know, this is the first time, obviously, that there's been one played in New Zealand, the first time that there's been a Women's Rugby World Cup played in New Zealand. So they haven't usually had all of this attention. And I don't know if they're loving it. I think sometimes they might feel uncomfortable about it. But at the same time, I think their friends and their family are really loving that, you know, seeing them being given 
the the recognition that they deserve. What about those incredible stories? There were some amazing stories behind the women who were have been selected in this Blackburn squad, like Renee Wycliffe and Portia Woodman, who uh, engaged couple who were at the last World Cup, but since then have had this spate of cruel injuries, which would have ruled out most people, would have ended most players' careers. Nearly three years out of the international spotlight for Portia Woodman. A blown Achilles in 2018, serious hamstring injury in 2019, and COVID cancellations. I'm the best I've ever been in the last 10 years, mentally more than physically. I had to make some changes, and that was my diet. But together they've worked, um, supported each other, got themselves back on the playing field and back in the Black Ferns, which is amazing. They met, obviously, through rugby. Uh, I think they're both double world champions. And for, for Renee, this will be her fourth World Cup. What gets you up is there's other people that want in your spot and I have to work extra hard. And then again, it's my daughter. She, if she sees me getting up and doing the hard work, then it'll help her on the way, you know. She's the oldest player in the side at 35. And then you have uh, Sylvia Brunt, who's, this is her first World Cup, and she's 18, almost half of Renee's age. And there's some, you know, other incredible stories like Charmaine McMenamin, who uh, a year ago was in a hospital bed after having surgery on her spinal cord. I found out that I had bone spurs on my spinal cord. Oh, there was a period there, I didn't know if I could play again. Um, and it wasn't until probably October that I found out that the surgeon could operate and I'd be able to play again and do what I love. And here she is, back in the black ferns. And then these incredible, inspiring uh, backgrounds of these women who, you know, without a lot of financial support, from the sport, have really dug in and built themselves up to this position where they are who they are. Resilient, determined, and incredibly talented players as well. That's the thing that I think that we're going to see out of this Rugby World Cup, is people will be able to see that women's rugby is just as interesting and the game is just as skilled as the men's game. And I think people will be surprised by that. When you think about the Lionesses winning the Euros. They are counting down in Trafalgar Square. They are nervously looking on in Manchester where so many of their players play in. They have done it. England are European champions. They have beaten Germany by two goals to one. It was such a thrill. And the whole country got behind them. And, and it has done wonders, I think, yeah. for the women's game there mm. and obviously in Europe. Do you see the same thing happening? I mean, is this the year that we're going to see a real surge of support? Yes, but not to that level yet. You know, that's incredible. We've, they've had you know 90,000 supporters in the stands for women's football in, in Europe. Women's rugby is a little way behind that, but... It's the dream that New Zealanders will turn out in big numbers to watch these games. They've done it really cleverly too to get people to come. You'll go along to a stadium either in Auckland or Whangarei and there'll be three games that you can watch. 
kids can get in for five dollars, adults, you know, as as cheap as ten dollars, and you get to see six international teams playing in one day. You don't get to see that in sport very often. There has been some criticism that the games are only in the north, but they decided instead of you know the the cost that it, to send the teams around the country, they decided to put that money into the tournament in a different way, and you know part of that is to boost interest in the game. It's an expensive thing to hold an event like this. Yeah, we're talking about teams of thirty-two players. You've got coaches and management, physios, doctors. These are big, big teams. And so moving them around the country would be an expensive exercise. So they're either at uh, Waitakere Stadium, Eden Park, or the Northland Events Centre in Whangarei. But the organisers are hoping to break the record for attendance at a women's rugby game on the opening day on October the 8th at Eden Park. And they're aiming for 45,000 people. It's not just games, it's entertainment. Yeah, they've got Rita Ora, they've got Benny, they've got Shapeshifter. And so they they want people to come along and not just be entertained by rugby, but that it's, you know, it's an entertainment package, really. You bring up a really good point in that they have struggled to get people along to watch women's rugby even even the big international matches yeah you know earlier this year when they had the pacific four series they had tests against the wallaroos and i think the largest crowd they got was four thousand. so it's convincing people that it's worth their while to go and watch women's rugby they will be entertained we know for example you know how entertaining the women's sevens black ferns are well five of those black Ben Sevens are in this squad. The need for speed has been addressed. The squad features five seven stars, including speedsters Sarah Hidney, Teresa Fitzpatrick, Stacey Flula, Ruby Tui, and Portia Woodman. So we know that Portia Woodman and Sarah Hidney and Ruby Tui um, are just incredible athletes. And their skills are being transferred to the 15s game. And while, you know, we don't want it to be dominated by sevens players, those are, they're they're athletic, they're fit, they're fast, they're amazing ball handlers, and they're taking their skills to another game. And that's exciting. Uh, I saw the interview with the coach, Wayne Smith, and he talked about how... We're changing the game because we don't think we can play a traditional game and be successful. There was, I think, no way that the Black Ferns would be able to defend the World Cup if they tried to play the same as the two powerhouses in the game at the moment, who are England and France. And their their rugby is dominated by big forwards. And so Wayne Smith has come in, I mean, a legend in rugby, has come in and said, let's use the skills that we have, the natural flair, the speed, the quick ball handling. So we need to be really clever. Um, we need to all be on the same page. We need to play an attacking game, maybe create a bit of chaos. And let's really use that to advan- our advantage. Yes, we'll have to try and keep up with 
the big forwards of England and France um, in rucks and malls. But, you know, let's put them to the test with our speed and our flair. So it is, it's a different, a different team than we've seen in the last few years. And that does come down to um, the genius of Wayne Smith. A lot has been going on behind the scenes with women's rugby as well because there was the big report that came out. Scathing review into the team identifying a clear lack of culture. I think we're seeing exactly the outcomes of that review. The culture in the team is different and the players talk about how um, there's been this huge shift and how it's a happier, safer kind of environment where they feel they're being heard, they're allowed to say, you know, what's bothering them or what um, they're concerned about, and that's being heard. And, yeah, they just they just look a happier, healthier team. One of the things that they did was bring in Alan Bunting, who was the Blackfern Sevens coach, incredibly successful and highly regarded man, to um, be in charge of the culture of the team. The women in this team already have that respect for him and he in, in turn respects them. Yeah, I think that we're going to see a better level of rugby out of this team because of it. You mentioned that a lot of these players, it financially it hasn't been easy for them. No. Are they professional players now? They are since March this year, so they are now on full-time contracts up until the end of this Rugby World Cup. So that's been a real change for them because they've been able to put aside their jobs for now and train full-time in hubs around the country. And, you know, there's some amazing women in this team. Uh, Ruahe Demant, who's the co-captain, is a lawyer. There's engineers, there's teachers, there's... Farmers, there's there's a whole range of incredible um, women in this team who have been given the opportunity to just focus on rugby for nine months, and it really hasn't happened other than in the the sevens environment. This hasn't happened for fifteens women's rugby. I mean that in itself, when you think about these women in these in these career roles, even even being able to to take a break knowing that you could go back to your job hopefully after nine months that in itself is is quite a complicated thing isn't it whereas the men haven't had to do that because they get paid enough to be full-time rugby players I guess it's kind of like maternity leave isn't it when you think about it (laughs) but um, instead of raising a child they've been uh, focusing on rugby oh and that's the other thing quite a few of them are mums and they have had this opportunity. But, you know, the fact that they only this is only until the end of the Rugby World Cup, why can't they continue to pay them? Yeah, I guess a lot of it is going to depend on how they perform at this World Cup and what their results are. That has been the nature of the women's game. That, you know, they're constantly being judged on performances as to what kind of funding goes into them in the next round, I guess. I understand with Silver Lake coming on board. Their American private equity firm Silver Lake adding New Zealand rugby to its portfolio of big-name partners. A $200 million deal that uh, some see as transforming rugby at all levels of the game.
there was really no specific mention of the women's game. Yeah, you're right. There was nothing that was specifically earmarked for women's rugby. But the money will come to women's rugby through the different areas, I guess, of the business that is New Zealand rugby. So through club rugby funding, that a portion of that money will go towards women's club rugby uh, through the provincial unions, through the high performance allowance. So rather than say, OK, we're going to give this much money to women's rugby, it will naturally flow through. Is it half and half? Because it's the women's game that's, that's growing substantially, isn't it? Yeah. Between 2016 and 2019, women's rugby participation increased by 40%. Men's dropped by four. So I think it's one in five rugby players in New Zealand are now women. But that doesn't naturally reflect in the funding uh, and Is that's, that right? One in five. And I think that's another thing that this Rugby World Cup will do is I think we'll see a surge in player numbers of girls and young women playing the game. And that's a natural reaction that you get after a big event like this. But that is where New Zealand rugby has to capitalise on that interest and really you know, make it easy for girls to play. You know, we're still hearing about club rooms around the country who have no changing rooms for women, no training fields set aside for women. We see it in a lot of sports still, where women have to train late at night on fields with no lights, get changed in the men's changing rooms. You know, it's so archaic, but it's still happening. And this is where hopefully that Silver Lake money, you know, must go into just that, making it equal for women, and so more women will want to play the game. I just find that astounding. In a sporty country where we've got top-level sports women, that our sports grounds don't accommodate them. Yeah, and the only way you're going to get your uh, national team to do better in future is to look after players at grassroots and, and young girls, making them want to play the game, or else you're not going to have any black ferns in 10 years' time. Simple things like, is there a hairdryer in the changing rooms that girls can use afterwards? Do they feel safe coming to and training? Are the training times easy for them to come to? We're letting down our young women by not providing them with equal, safe, environments to play sport. Are you still seeing that? Is that what you're still hearing, that it may not necessarily be safe for women to go to practice? or Yeah, or they don't feel comfortable, or they can't get to trainings at that time of night. So, you know, there's nobody in their family to bring them. So they don't come. So, you know, we see this huge drop-off in girls' participation when they get to, you know, that 13 to 16 years because it's not easy and they don't feel welcome. That's the other thing, you know, feeling welcome to go into the club rooms afterwards. Mm. God, you just, just the simplest things that need to happen to make girls and women want to play sport. So not only do we want our Black Ferns to win this Rugby World Cup, 
But is there a lot pinned on this event for really developing the game at the grassroots level? Yes, and that has to be a legacy of holding a huge event here in this country. Um, And we saw it with cricket, and we will see it with the football FIFA World Cup here next year, that there has to be something within that legacy that benefits young women and keeps the game growing for women. How well is New Zealand rugby handling the women's game? Well, if you start at the very top of New Zealand rugby, which is their governing board, there still aren't enough women on there. There still aren't enough women leaders in rugby. There still aren't enough women coaches. Really interesting, New Zealand rugby was penalised $280,000 by Sport New Zealand for not having enough gender diversity on their governing board. So the target was 40% female on sports boards throughout the country uh, that received funding from Sport New Zealand. So they will receive $280,000 less funding from Sport New Zealand for not meeting that gender diversity ratio. Why aren't they meeting it? I think, you know, there's a long way still to go. They're obviously making efforts to encourage women to get into governance, but I guess that's the thing that they haven't been encouraged to do or they haven't felt welcome to be on boards at club level or provincial level. Yeah, again, that's something that has to start from the grassroots up. So we will see that diversity growing on the board, but... New Zealand rugby still has a lot of work to do Mm -hmm. as far as equality and equity for women. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Phil Benge and produced by Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Suzanne McFadden. Mā te wā. Oh,